we were we were talking to Adidas as like literally couple month old companies. It's no longer uh, an illiquid JPEG. Okay, well, who's your counterparty? Who are you going to sell that to? Well, if every item is collateralized, you no longer have to worry about that. Or do I want to like risk it and make this crazy comic book backed by fractionalized crypto punks? And if it doesn't sell, I lose all that money that I had made and I don't have a job because I just, <laughs> I just passed on Amazon. So uh, I went all in again and uh, it worked. Welcome to Beneath the Layers by Offchain Labs. I'm your host, Hunter, and today we're speaking with G-Funk, CEO and wearer of many hats at Pixavault. In this episode, we'll be speaking about entrepreneurship, his part in the rise of NFTs, and of course, how he plans on taking on-chain gaming to the next level with Reboot. Without further ado, let's get into it. Sean, thank you for coming on today. Uh, very excited to have you Happy here. Happy to be here. Yes, yes. Um, I think I think we're gonna very easy place to start off is I just called you Sean. I think the title is probably gonna have you as G Funk. Uh, why the right, name? Right. Why the name G Funk? Sean, I assume is your real name. So why G Funk? Yes. So the G in G Funk uh, is associated with my last name, which is Garen. Uh, and I was really into West Hope, West Coast hip hop growing up. So Nate, Snoop, Warren G, two one three. In their raps, they talk about sort of the rise of the G-Funk sound. And when Nate and Warren G got together, it was in 1986, which is my year of birth. And so the G-Funk sound and the G-Funk era, uh, I sort of correlate to my own era coming into existence. So that's G-Funk era 86, which is my handle. And it's sort of of an homage to uh, regulate and... Regulate. Nate and Warren G. Dude. Yeah. The, uh, All-time uh, classic. Dude, I, I, I love... And, you know, I'm, I, was, I was born on the East Coast, but I love, you know, West Side Connection, uh, Warren G especially. Yeah. yeah like, I've actually so seen Dubsy uh, in concert. Yeah, it was pretty what? cool. I grew up Dude. in LA, so I, I was around a lot of this stuff. And it's so funny, too, yeah. because literally... Uh, so, yeah... Uh, on Twitter, my pseudonym, my name is uh, Bfresh, and that's more for like that's just my b-boy name. I used to break dance kind of back uh, maybe a couple of years awesome. ago. Um, so when I saw G Funk, I'm like, either this guy he likes hip hop or he used to break dance. One of the two. I unfortunately I I could never break dance, uh, but that's awesome <laughs> that you could. Uh, yeah, no, just just a hip hop fan, um, really dating back to probably late elementary school. I don't know how I got into it. Actually, uh, I was getting off of the school bus in like maybe fourth (laughs) grade. And I found like one of the older kids CD cases, but I didn't know whose it was. And it had like the OG Coolio album with Gangsta's Paradise. It had Snoop Dogg Doggy Style album. And so I started listening to this older kids music and then I just got hooked to hip hop. That's sick. I love that. <laughs> Interesting origin story. to like getting into rap music, right? Finding some oh, other kid's CD case. That's dope. That, yeah. That's definitely like the start of a movie, by the way. 100%. It could be a great start <laughs> yeah, to a movie. For sure. If, if only I became a rapper, it would have it made even more sense. But yeah. perfect for this. I mean, Twitter handle. 
<laughs> the rise of the Twitter handle. Um, exactly. <laughs> so before we do get into the, um, the crypto stuff, um, maybe can you give us an idea of like what your life was like uh, before entrepreneurship, like, you know, kind of working that nine to five life. Um, and then mm -hmm. just generally speaking, like what about the idea of entrepreneurship got you interested? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say it's really just been a part of my DNA since I was a little kid. One, I've always been a collector and that lean towards collecting was always somewhat financially motivated. So I was really into baseball, basketball cards when I was a kid. And I had the Beckett magazine completely memorized front to back. I could tell you what any card was worth. I was obsessed. It was a strange kid, I guess. <laughs> um, and also on weekends, in order to feed this baseball, basketball card addiction, uh, I would find little sort of like entrepreneurial businesses, whether it was like selling sodas on the 17th hole of the golf course or going door to door selling stuff. I had like a red wagon as like a, I want to say like a second grader growing up in the Valley outside Los Angeles in hundred plus degree heat. My stepmom at one point had a business selling like jelly, like tropical jelly. And when that went under, she had all this excess inventory that was just going to go to waste. Our family was like sick of it. And I asked her if I could have it. And I literally dragged that behind me in hundred plus degree heat, just selling it door to door. Uh, and the people in this neighborhood were so impressed by, I don't know, my entrepreneurial spirit, the fact that I was out there by myself as like a second grader that they would pay me like ridiculous amounts for this jelly, you know, like $20 for a thing of jelly, just because they wanted to tip me. And, you know, they like respected the hustle. So of oh. course I dumped it all back into baseball cards. Um, but that's just how I've been since birth. I've always really had a very active mind trying to figure out new ways to create businesses, um, find opportunity. I just find it enjoyable. And so, um, in college I was working in banking. Uh, I started as a bank teller early in college and I became a licensed banker by the end of college and myself and all of my friends were working in Newport beach, California, a lot of money around there, a lot of money to be made, at least fresh out of college. Um, you know, a lot, obviously in crypto terms now sounds a little strange, but like we were, um, you know, making like six figures, like as we were graduating college, just working in these, these, uh, bank branches, um, selling checking accounts, credit cards, getting people to invest mortgages, whatever it was. And I was like one of the, I was one of California's top performers at chase. Um, I was like a whale hunter. I wouldn't harass people about like, oh, like open a credit card. But all the wealthy people would want to come to me because they knew I would take like really good care of them. They could call me up. I would do stuff for them. I wouldn't hassle them. But when it came time to like ask for big business, they felt comfortable giving it to me. And I remember um, one month I finished like number one in the state of California. And the way sales cycles go, okay, my whole pipeline basically hit in one month, like all the big accounts I had been working on. And the next month, 
like the higher ups at Chase, my branch manager, et cetera, they're like, oh, hey, Sean, like, what's going on? Your numbers look a little bit low. And I, I realized at that point that like, I was just a number to them. I was F158359. I still remember my my corporate ID. And really, that was the moment that um, I knew that I did not want to be a part of like the corporate America cog. Right now, everybody's talking about these Coinbase ads um, yeah. that speak to a lot of the problems in our society for, for people our, our age and younger. Like the American dream has kind of fallen apart. And that was the moment where I realized it. Um, so at the time, I went back to law school, uh, was going to pursue a JD MBA. And um, my second year, instead of starting my MBA, I started my first business. And it was sort of, um, it was very, very early to what would become now really universally known in the entertainment world, but this idea of a virtual production office, um, everything behind the scenes in Hollywood is very pen and paper. And so I was just bringing that into the digital age and, you know, near acquisition deal fell apart. Um, and I found myself one week later driving Uber from like almost a millionaire at age 26 to driving Uber um, like a week later. And that you really have to have that mindset where you're okay with that. Uh, in my opinion, to be a successful entrepreneur. Um, right. I, I shared a clip. I'm, I'm forgetting exactly who said it. Oh, it was... Um, What's his name? Uh, Sam Altman, I want to say, was talking about how the number one thing you need more so than intelligence is just relentlessness exactly. to create a successful business. And I say all the time, be a cockroach. <laughs> and honestly, the only reason I'm on this, uh, this podcast today is because, you know, we had tremendously successful last bull run and then... It, there have been some really hard times for the last couple of years. Um, my public sentiment is uh, is obviously very uh, tied alongside the asset prices in our ecosystem. And right. some people are forgiving for that, which is outside of my control. Some people think it's all within my control. And, you know, you just have to roll with the punches, the good with the bad. Um, but I knew that I really wanted to work in something that I enjoyed and something that where, you know, your skill, your creativity was rewarded. And I've found that in startups and I've either founded, um, I've been like a, a first couple employees are founded several businesses at this point. Um, and you learn a lot more in your failures than you do your successes. Typically, uh, takes a very unique person to really, really, really acutely analyze why they were successful. Right. Because a lot of times the answer is, okay, you did some things right, but a lot of it is luck, timing, right place, right time, right connections. There's a lot more than just intelligence uh, that goes into you know 99% of success stories. So, yeah, again, my uh, my interests 
aligned with the market. I had sort of this unique confluence of where I, where I started this story with Chase. Um, I had, I had gone back to business school at Duke at the start of, um, really like coming out of COVID. Uh, my previous startup was in the cybersecurity space and we were doing a lot of business on Amazon. There was a, a physical hardware device. It was like a whole home VPN uh, type device. And uh, when Amazon shut down accepting all goods other than you know the personal protective equipment and food and supplies for COVID, it really hurt a lot of small businesses that, that rely on Amazon. Um, and so went back to school and interestingly enough through Duke, one of my, uh, one of my, um, fellow students, he had, a an interesting opportunity arise at Amazon and like, right as I had to make the decision between throwing caution to the wind again. I wasn't making any money at the time right. and going all in on Pixel Vault. And of course, at this point, I had had a, a pretty solid run in crypto. I've talked about this before, but it started with like 20K in October, November of 2020. And by May, when we were launching Punk's, Punk's comic, uh, it was probably like 500, 600,000. And so it was, okay, do I want to go back to working full-time corporate America for Amazon or do I want to like risk it and make this crazy comic book backed by fractionalized crypto punks? And if it doesn't sell, I lose all that money that I had made and I don't have a job because I just, <laughs> I just passed on Amazon. So, uh, I went all in again and, uh, yes. it worked. Okay, so I think that's this is this is a perfect perfect segue. By the way, um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of the conversations that I tend to have in these podcasts, we always end up talking about 2017 somehow, some way, 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the rise of NFTs and CryptoPunks in particular did not happen until the bull run after, which was the previous one. Um, right. Maybe give give me a little bit of your perspective on that because I, I remember being involved in that little rise too. I had my own punk. I remember Punk's comic very very. Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly, uh, but please give me your perspective mm -hmm. on that. Yeah. So going a couple cycles back, uh, tying to my love for sports, I actually got into crypto through sports betting. Uh, mm. That became sort of the go-to route for people to, you know, deposit, e withdraw money. Yeah. So like 20, <laughs> 2013, 2014. And now, unfortunately, I was betting with it, taking money out, doing entrepreneurial endeavors. If I had just held the Bitcoin that I was using, God knows, like the price had to have been so low. Uh, I probably wouldn't have had to have this job. But <laughs> unfortunately, I was trading it, using it uh, and all of that. And, you know, my interest has never gone away. But of course, like everyone else during the extended bear markets previously, you know, you get you, you sort of fall back into your everyday life, get into other things. Um, 2017, obviously, was a lot of fun, piqued my interest, made some money, um, put it into a business. Uh, and then I remember there was a, I had just started looking at NFTs and um, 
there was a moment with Top Shot where Jonathan Bales, Peter Jennings, uh, those guys bought a John Morant moment on Top Shot for like $35,000. And I was like, what? Uh, this, this seems crazy. Um, and I know actually this, I think Bales had like a big thread or, um, like a news, like, I think he might've had a newsletter at the time or like a blog, um, where he broke down his analysis and it made a lot of sense coming from just the pure card collector standpoint. But thinking about those video clips, like imagine how powerful it would be if you had some level of IP rights to the clip on an NBA Top Shot card. Now, of course, they would be a lot more expensive and the NBA would never allow it. But uh, I, I tracked down a tweet. I think I was talking to, to Peter um, and actually my co-founder uh, at Pixel Vault uh, alongside Beanie. Uh, sports cheetah who came from the sports betting world. Um, I just highlighted the fact like, wow, this could be really powerful if there was some sort of intellectual property right associated with the NFT. And that was really the nexus of what would become Pixel Vault. And that entire uh, bull run, I'd say, was pretty much side by side. Um, alongside Board Ape Yacht Club, there was a push for people to, to get intellectual property rights with their, um, their NFTs. There was a big conversation surrounding CryptoPunks and the Nifty license that they had, which limited uh, commercial use of the NFT to $100,000 a year. And the stimulus for Punk's comic was, you know, I was seeing people like G-Money and Seed Phrase and DC Investor and Beanie and Dees and all these kind of guys were starting to build brands around their crypto punk. And so coming from the entertainment space, I thought, wow, like this is interesting and potentially really powerful. What if we could use storytelling as a way to drive value to these assets just like d's you know his persona has now made his crypto punk incredibly valuable um we're doing that via these comics illustrated by chris wall and so we bought up this collection of 16 crypto punks um led by beanie's famous crypto punk put them uh in a vault with fractional.art uh, Andy oh, 8052's yeah. company at the time, uh, which has, you know, RIP fractional, it, it is now gone. But when you bought the comic, you could stake it for your proportional share of this vault of the 16 crypto punks that inspired the story. So we've really tried to take very innovative approaches to exploring all this stuff, DAOs, burning staking mechanisms. We were the first group to ever do a mint pass. The mint pass, the very first mint pass was ours with the MetaHero collection. Um, and in doing that, you know, sometimes it'll be a big hit a la mint pass, or sometimes it won't work. Um, and, and so we, we've, we've had our, we've had our swings, we've had our misses. Um, but fortunately we are still here and 
great to see the ecosystem pumping again and everybody excited for the game that we've built. And uh, yeah, things are, things are looking up. I got to say, like, there's something to be said about, and you, you mentioned that earlier, like the, like the combination of factors that come into uh, something that you're launching becoming a success. Because I mean, the last, last bull run, obviously, NFTs really kind of saw their, let's, let's just call it the product market fit for the bull run, right? Um, mm -hmm. But if you think about it, like, what about crypto kitties, huh? 2017, late 2017, right. they really showed Ethereum. Yeah, hey, you got you to scale, right? I mean, Dapper, unfortunately, made the same mistake twice. Yeah. You know, they flooded the supply <laughs> yeah. with crypto kitties, just like they did with Top Shot. Yeah. But obviously, they've really been ahead of trends. Um, I think that there was something special as it scaled into this most recent bull run, you know, you really started to see some high value assets emerging. CryptoPunks obviously went on a run and um, part of the stimulus for, for Punk's comic was my thought, who, who could spend eight ETH on an NFT? I think when we started buying the Punks for the collection, they were like six ETH, eight ETH floor. What? Um, like, who could, who could spend that much on an <laughs> NFT? And so I thought, okay, great. Like we fractionalized them. All these people want access to this historic collection. Um, great. So you own a, a fractional share of this very valuable asset. And maybe fractionalization sees its day once NFTs um, become a much more mature asset class, but Unfortunately, it was a, a bit ahead of its time. Still a cool concept, nonetheless. Totally. Oh, 100%. And it's so funny because, like, I remember you mentioned CryptoPunk floor being at 6, six to 8 ETH. Um, I, I was only able to acquire one punk, and it was at 18 ETH. Um, and I remember it mm -hmm. going up to 19. And I'm like, oh, should I spend the rest of my ETH to, to, to get this punk? But in my head, I'm like, no, the goal is an Ethereum validator. <laughs> and, right. You know, exactly. I, I, you know, I, you're I, getting I, closer. I, I know I should have yeah. got it, but uh, you know, all that to say that I remember the fractional fractionalization stuff. I remember like, uh, I think it was party party app or party.app or something mm -hmm. where it was like something yep. similar, but it's like, I guess it made it a little more fun. Mm -hmm. People can kind of talk. Um, but yeah, dude, I right. think it's, they, I think, things. I think through party, they bought a zombie at one point. That's what I remember. Yes. And I, ha I ha actually had yeah. some of the tokens. I don't know where those tokens are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's part of the problem with fractionalization is, you know, people like to see the value going up. And this is the problem with DAOs also. Um, unless it's physically in your possession where you can monetize it directly, um, something gets lost in translation. And so you see groups like Flamingo um, continue mm -hmm. to amass these amazing collections. Like they just went on a crazy buying spree. Uh, but that's like a very solid group of like-minded long-term investors. And when you sort of gather together these groups of people who don't necessarily have the same goals and throw them together in a DAO that has a bunch of assets, naturally there's a ton of infighting. Everyone wants to do something differently. We've, sort of experienced this the hard way though our our founders DAO, which 
you could get you could get access to for burning a punks comic one is still around very strong the dow token itself isn't worth what it once was still above mint though might i add but um yeah i mean it, it got up to i don't know 510 ETH in the last bull run and has a ton of amazing assets that are going to be of significant value in this next stage of Pixel Vault as we help launch the reboot protocol, have the, the game battle plan. They have just like a ridiculous wealth of resources to convert to the GG token and nice. uh, brawlers in the game. And so I think they're set up for success. But they, in order for this DAO, in my mind, to succeed, we took a really strong stance in making sure it was decentralized. It's its own organization, completely distinct from Pixel Vault. I have no more say than any of the other DAO token holders. Um, they they have really active members who who function in sort of like a administrative perspective, and they've had to endure absolutely horrible bear market conditions to really purge people that weren't a fit from this collective. And now, you know, they've emerged the other side and I feel like they have a really strong sense of direction at this point. So um, DAOs, fractionalization, all of this stuff has definitely gone through the ringer over the last <laughs> couple of years. Uh, DAOs are certainly not as in vogue now as they, as they were in the 2021 bull run, but uh, interesting things to mess around with. In any case, well, I, I will say that one thing that I think really shook the like the entire industry at the time was uh, the partnership that you guys did uh, with Adidas uh, or mm -hmm. Punk Com Punk's comic, right? Uh, can you can Punk's you break down like Adidas, yeah. what what happened there for everyone? Yeah. That was that was crazy. Sure. So um, yeah, uh, Ben Mayer White. Uh, worked at Adidas. And at the time, I knew G-Money. Um, G-Money had started talking to Ben. Ben was a collector of Punk's comic, a big fan of what we were trying to do with IP. He reached out to me. Um, he, G-Money, and I started this conversation where, you know, we, we wanted to try to sort of bring a large sort of cultural iconic brand into the space in a way that was authentic because most of most of what you see falls flat it, it's too corporate there uh it always reminds me of the the really funny now sort of like relentlessly memed conversation between Pepsi and Budweiser and it's like Oh Lag me, brat, brand friend. Uh, yeah, like you don't want that. So that Adidas, the to their credit, I know that was the top. Close, close <laughs> to the top. Um, to their credit, they wanted to come in in a way that was authentic through other existing brands, like native brands that had an identity, a following, and they really followed our lead. So it was G and I with Ben Mayer White. And Ben was also a big fan of Board Ape Yacht Club, which they launched three weeks before us. This was right as that insane bull run was starting to happen. Of course, you'd already had 
the crazy Beeple sale. Um, right. Beeple had sort of had his run up. We'd had the first punks run up into Christie's where they got to like 18, 20 ETH floor. And then there was like a massive crater. And that's like right around when, when punks launched. And so um, we were we were talking to Adidas as like literally a couple month old companies. Um, I, I reached out to uh, to Gordon at BAYC. I had like talked to him maybe like a couple times in Discord or on Twitter or something. Um, be, oh, because we were doing issue two involving holders of of. BAYC um, NFTs like the Apes, we had like a March Madness type bracket and we were going to leverage their IP rights to have them be in the comic. So I had been talking to Gordon um, and I brought him into the conversation. We, and then uh, he got Garga. And from there, it was just like strategizing how do we get this in the door? And I guess they had already started to build a group internally that was like analyzing the space. It was like a very small sort of like task force internally. But of course they had to run it up to much more senior executive level positions. And it just seemed very clear that they were determined to make this happen. Um, that team continued to grow and um, it was really sort of hard to believe at the time when, when we, when we ended up launching, it was, it was actually very timely enough. Our big announcement uh, with the huge Twitter campaign uh, was at Art Basel uh, two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago, Art Basel. Seems like a very short period of time when you phrase it that way, but it seems like a lifetime ago at this point. Um, yeah. And, and when that was announced, still no one knew who Garga or Gordon or any of those guys were, they hadn't doxed yet. They wouldn't dox for like another couple months. Um, so I remember our, uh, our, like our big photo was a bunch of us sitting on a couch in a hotel at Basel and G money Garga and Gordon were literally drawn in as cartoons. G also hadn't doxxed yet. And now, of course, everybody knows what all these guys look like, their names and everything. But they were all still completely anonymous. And we were launching a global marketing campaign with Adidas. It was, it was wild. Um, but props to them for being willing to sort of go out on a limb and try something big. Uh, getting to see the the merch we created with them in World Cup commercials, seeing the you know Bayern players wearing it, it's, it's sort of hard to believe. Um, and now we now we of course have like custom stuff. I have a hoodie that's like the entire pattern is the Punk's comic page with all of our characters rocking the gear. Um, yeah, it. I, I gotta say came a long way very fast. And and I think that's what like attracts me so much and really does keep me in this space is it's a it's like a mix of two things. It's number one, like the opportunity, 
that you have to mm -hmm. like grow your own brand and uh, grow your, even just someone's personal brand. But also if you have that element of relentlessness, hunger to like continue to build and build, like, you know, at some point you're going to get noticed. Uh, and for some people, it's a lot sooner for you guys. Congrats again. That's, I remember that that was literally like, mm -hmm. you know, um, what do you call it? It was like really like a turning moment, I think for the space, because that showed that web two was interested in crypto, you know, whether right. it was in the veil of an NFTs or art or whatever it may be, like that was yeah, insane. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I can't believe we pulled it off. Um, like I said, we launched in May and by December that had already happened. So the, the run up you can have just financially and in life is unparalleled crypto versus really anywhere else. Um, it was shocking to me when I just said two years ago, because truly it feels like a different lifetime. And to put it in the context of like six months after launching the company, that's right. even more crazy. <laughs> um, and all of this with a very new technology that of course still continues to, to have question marks from a regulatory perspective. And so, you know, we spent a lot of money and really tried, uh, Pixel Vault actually took on a lot of the um, regulatory and legal risks associated with that drop. Everybody was actually contracted with us to help, you know, get the deal done from the Adidas side, because at that point, none of these corporates were going that far out on a limb. Really around the same time, Nike bought Artifact. And so, of course, the Nike and Adidas no. battle continues on into eternity. Um, but yeah, I mean, both those companies deserve big props for embracing it, um, taking the risk, going out on a limb. And uh, I think that was a, a tremendous success. I know Adidas has now continued that project on with their own um their own sort of like PFP project and building it across the brand. So, you know, if you're into sports or if you're into more of a cultural side, they're trying to find a place for all types of people. Um, but, you know, of course, still growing pains for, for all of us as we try and find exactly the right way to make utility and things like that make sense now in a, a post royalties world, 100%. which, you know, ha has been very difficult. In addition to the decreased activity in the markets, greater royalties went away. And so you've seen tons of companies, projects go under. Um, Gordon himself uh, from Yuga last night was, was talking about this a lot. Uh, I know people are, are working on trying to create solutions. I think Magic Eden is is coming out with some sort of create royalty enforcement. I don't know how they're going to accomplish that. We'll see. Um, it's like, okay, you're going to limit the the transfer of, of NFTs. Cause otherwise I don't know how we do that, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the, the technical advancement because right now it's sort of an honor system. Yeah. Uh, I've been outspoken against it. So of course I always pay mine, but 
I don't really blame anybody at this point for, for not paying their royalty. It's, that's what has become the norm. And of course, before the norm was to honor the royalty, but if you want to see these companies succeed in an atypical space that can provide atypical utility and access and support the arts, make actual like set aside companies like Pixel Vault or Yuga or whoever it may be, which are, yes, art focused, but mm. companies and just like truly individual artists. That last bull run really empowered art as like a real career. Before you had to be like an extreme outlier to make a living through your art. And of course it's still hard to get noticed, but um, I think it opened up a lot of opportunities in the arts. And so hate to see that fall by the wayside with what's happened with creator royalties, but ultimately I think it'll get figured out. No, a hundred percent. And I guess just to, uh, just to comment on the royalty stuff, I think that they, I think the biggest problem with it was that, uh, that probably a lot of these creators who had onboarded themselves from kind of, you know, web to just, or just creating art, you know, in real life and kind of going this digital route and feeling the empowerment of generating revenue on stuff that they couldn't have previously. The biggest slap was when somehow it was like disabled like that. <laughs> Cause I'm sure that in their mind, it's like, like crypto enables this, like this function. So to me, it's right. not something that someone can just take away. So when that was taken away, right. because people realized, oh, so it's not hard coded or it's not on chain. I think right. that that's what really messed them up. And I think this, this time around, you're probably going to start seeing um, protocols with this, like, you know, one or the other hard coded in, or even I'll, I'll be honest, probably mm -hmm. chains, like dedicated chains with this stuff, like royalties right. directly integrated. You know, it has to happen, one or the other. Yeah, I mean, the, the reboot protocol, it's not a royalty enforcement, but, and this is jumping way ahead in, into what we're doing with Arbitrum, but- Let's do um, it, let's talk about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, similar to an arcade, okay. like when you go into an arcade and you, you use your tickets to buy a prize, our prizes are collateralized by GG, the native token of the protocol. And- there's a spread between what you put, what you pay for the item and what gets collateralized. And that helps the game developer to function similar to what a royalty would have done in call it NFTs 1.0. Um, I think you'll start finding uh, companies, protocols, chains, finding these creative ways to support the actual underlying businesses in a way that's additive. So in this case, yes, in that process, the company is able to make a little bit of money for it to be a sustainable business. We have 60 employees and really need to grow to accomplish what we're trying to do. But right. also in that process, and the reason why it's worth it for a user, it's no longer uh, an illiquid JPEG. Right? That was the problem in the last cycle. You buy a JPEG and say you want to use it for games. Okay, so you buy this asset on the blockchain. Okay, well, who's your counterparty? Who are you going to sell that to to get liquidity? Well, if every item is collateralized, you no longer have to worry about that. GG in, GG out. So in that process, you're getting some security knowing that 
these tokens that you're putting in to get this cool in-game asset or flair or skill, whatever it may be, you know there's always going to be that amount of GG held in that item. And so you don't have to find uh, another party to this exchange to buy your NFT from you. You can just burn it and collect the GG back. So there, now we have a two-sided exchange of value where previously it was like, oh, okay, great. I'm this, um, you know, art collector and I'm going to pay my royalty to the artist. And me personally, I, I truly feel good about that because their work brings me joy. I like seeing them win as I win, especially if I'm selling it for a profit. Of course, it only makes logical sense that the artist should participate in that. Well, move to us. Great. User buys an item. They're willing to pay that spread because now they have a valuable in-game asset and they know that they can get the tokens back out after they're done playing with that asset. So um, I think you're going to see a lot of creative uh, ways for these companies to sort of support their sel themselves and, and build in the necessary fee structures for, for themselves to operate while adding to the experience of the user rather than just having it be a thing that no one really knows why it exists other than having it be sort of status quo or the norm. Interesting. And so where does, uh, I mean, I guess so in this case, battle plan is kind of the almost like a, a great contextualization of that alongside a great game. Would that be a good way to yes. kind of put it? Yeah. So battle plan is the flagship game that's going to launch the reboot protocol. And on top of being a very fun game is intended to show off the many different um, features that the protocol supports. So you have an NFT, you have a meta hero. Well, uh, come later in 2024, there are about 10,000 metaheroes, but we want millions of people ultimately to be playing this game. Well, how do you reward the NFT holder for having said asset and putting that money down? But how do you still open it up to the masses? Well, uh, you can imagine putting them in a pool available to be drafted. So staking of sorts, though it doesn't feel like staking to the end user. You keep your metahero trained so that they're ready for battle. And then ultimately users can go in, draft their team, pick your metahero, and you get a small spread of their winnings. And so great, now you have the ability based on your actions to generate fees from holding said assets without it being a security. Uh, and I think that was a lot of the problem stemming from 2021 is, okay, great. Like now make number go up. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> like, I think you want a security and that's not what this is. So you, you've had to see the growing pains there because, you know, companies, especially those operating in the United States want, um, to be following the laws, which are admittedly gray area. <laughs> We've spent millions of dollars trying to stay within said gray area laws. But uh, I think this will be a huge sort of beacon to show what is possible because call it traditional world understands the concept of an arcade. 
And right. so playing a game of skill, getting out tickets, getting something of value, playing with said item, and then selling it back out for something that is um, liquid on an exchange, very clearly not a security, but still providing the type of utility and value uh, potential that NFT buyers in the previous bull run were looking for. So I'm hopeful for this next run because now you're finally starting to see product rather than concept. Um, and so hopefully the people that have, have stuck it out all this time will be rewarded for their loyalty and uh, dealing, dealing with all the BS of the last couple of years. And I think it's worth noting here that like the amount of attention to detail that's required to uh, create create essentially reboot that appeals to developers and game de game devs in particular to build on top of uh, and battle plan to be fun enough for regular people to play, but also interesting enough for NFT kind of buyers or traders to kind of come in and start utilizing too. Like that's that takes a lot of detail. And there's a huge <laughs> like DeFi component. I mean, every asset. Yeah in the market is on a VRGDA. So it's 100% driven by supply and demand. So prices of items fluctuate based on the meta at any given time, right? If, if a certain skill is more OP, you're gonna naturally see that the price of that item in the shop increase. And if something is less favored, it'll decrease in price until it reaches equilibrium. So. I think even if you aren't a quote unquote traditional gamer, there are a lot of ways that battle plan will appeal to just the traditional crypto trader or, or DeFi participant because of the ways that you can sort of analyze these markets and sort of make your place your quote unquote bets accordingly. Um, you know, buying up skills that they expect to appreciate, cornering the market on, on some sort of item. Um, it's been really fun to watch it play out in our, our most recent update to the closed beta. Um, because now, now there's full functionality there, just the tokens have no actual real world value because they're just on test net. But um, yeah, the community loves it. Sort of that easy to play, hard to master with a really complex sort of uh, economy attached to it. Yeah, should be a, should be a lot of fun. Really, really proud of the work our team has done, and I really can't take credit for the protocol or the game. I just um, I'll take credit for finding like really awesome people that are as relentless as I am, and keeping the team together through what have been some really rough times. I think that's where I shine is operational biz dev and sort of leading our team, but. Aaron, Chuba, they're really the brains behind uh, the protocol. We have a, an amazing game development team that was built from the ground up. First, I had to just find Goose, which thank God we found him. Um, <laughs> and then from there, we've just been able to find incredibly talented game developers. We've built out um, a full sort of like Web3 native development team, I'd say probably two thirds of our overall team is is on the dev side, whether it be be game or solidity, you know, full stack development. Um, and I just I try and keep morale high, keep us in the public eye, try and make business development deals, and 
sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong, but I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. And so, um, yeah, 2022, we had to undo a lot of, of what was done there, but um, we course corrected and I think we're all the stronger for it. 100%. And every, everything you mentioned, by the way, like, like, you know, what, what your job entails to me, that's like the, like the requirements essentially to be an entrepreneur. Like you, like you need all those qualities right. to be able to keep a team together, right. cultivate a team. Like that's really hard. That's, that's actually extremely hard. Harder than people think, I think, you know, my, my bio says wearer of many hats, but <laughs> I know just enough about basically everybody else's job. Right. Um, without being the subject matter expert in any one of them. What's it called again? There's a word for that. It's like, um, oh man. Jack, Jack of all, all trades, trades, master of none. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Jack of all trades. See, I say wearer of many hats because right. literally I'm always oh, nice. wearing a, I'm always wearing a hat. I grew up playing baseball. It's just always, always been a thing for me. So wearer of many there hats. An- another pun. <laughs> so, okay. So what would you say then, um, from, from your perspective, I'll, you know, I, I can, I can add it from like a tech or community level, but from your perspective, definitely like what was probably the most important thing for the launch of battle plan. I mean, so many things have had to come together just right. Um, fortunately, obviously the, the market is starting to look better. Uh, we were going to be launching in this time frame, regardless, but right. thank God, uh, it's not, the depths of the bear market that we saw as recently as uh, four or six months ago. Um, the, what is most important? I mean, again, I'll, I'll sort of lean on my team and the extension of my team to what we call our, our core committee. Mm-hmm. We have 146 characters that are at the center of punks and meta hero. And in 2021, we would airdrop these to, to holders of specific NFTs of ours. And we gave away the, the core characters of our IP at the time they were trading for like ridiculous amounts of money. I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars this month. We've had a bunch of trades in like the 20 ETH ish range. So like still really awesome. And we're just getting back off the ground. So knock on wood, hopefully up from here. But um, the the holders of these NFTs have the chance to join uh, sort of like a private council where they're getting real-time information from me on like business deals, things that we're planning, uh, questions. And so it's like having a very intertwined focus group of like your like most committed um, like community participants having like behind the scenes access that they can't share because they're under NDA. So, you know, we re- <laughs> in certain periods of time, we restrict their ability to trade because we don't want them trading NFTs with, you know, quote unquote, inside information, obviously a gray area, but we just want to like avoid any, any problems where we can, but um They've been incredible in one, helping us steer and, and make the right directions. Um, really though, like fine tuning 
are like the, the details of, of business points, knowing how the community will react to different things. Of course, we all stay like really in tune with our community, but no one knows better than this group. Um, and, you know, having, having them to help relay some of the stuff that I can't talk about because it's in process. So, you know, they don't tell the exact details, but other participants, token holders, uh, they trust that when they hear from someone that's actually in their shoes, like, Hey, like there's a good plan. We've seen it. Like the building process in crypto is so difficult to manage because crypto moves at light speed, but product takes time. Um, and so having that sort of extension of the company really into the community where there's sort of like a different level of trust between community members versus between company and community. Um, that's been huge as we've sort of re-envisioned what Pixel Vault looks like from 2021 bull market Pixel Vault to, you know, hopefully 2024 bull market Pixel Vault. These companies look almost nothing alike. Um, and that transition, those growing pains are, are hard to get through. So, so um, this core committee has been really, really important in, in helping the messaging, the, the fine details as we try and make these pivots. Um, and, you know, just working with our team as, as, you know, we try to tackle pretty big hurdles that I don't think most companies at least in the NFT space, um, have really tried to take on. There's a lot of like surface level projects that haven't really undertaken anything huge. Right. That's cool. You know, if, if the, if the whole thing is like, okay, this is art and yeah. we're just people that like this art and we're going to vibe together. Great. But we always wanted to be about like product and pushing the envelope from a technology perspective. And that's the kind of holder that we've attracted is these people that are like interested in game theory and trading and we've gotten a lot of shit for being too complicated. We're working on that. <laughs> but uh, I think Welcome to the, club. the complexity is, yeah, exactly. The complexity is going to see its way through to this game, which is going to be an incredibly complex undertaking, but not feel complex when you actually play it. So Knock on wood, I, I, I think we've got it right this time and uh, very excited to get it out more broadly speaking. On the topic of game theory, uh, can we talk a little bit about Wolf Dog Game? Sure. <laughs> maybe bring down a little bit of That was like, an exciting, the, yeah. Like maybe break down the history for us a little bit of, of kind of how it came about and then what brought you sure. guys to actually acquiring it. Yeah. Yeah. So really it dates back all the way to prior to the formation of Pixel Vault. Um, again, tying into Top Shot. At the time, uh, Pranksy pulled this massive, oh like, I want to say like million dollar NFT trade with this new account on Twitter. Like I'm talking 
maybe a hundred followers. And actually the account was set up specifically at Pranksy's request so that they could sort of like publicize this like huge blockbuster trade. It was a bunch of crypto punks for a bunch of like really, really rare top shot moments. And the counterparty to Pranksy was of course, none other than Beanie Maxi himself, Beanie. Um, and at the time I had sort of like a small bankroll but was really interested in in sort of like picking the brains of these people that were making these huge financial transactions in NFTs. And even now, I, I bet you can still reach a lot of people, most of the people that you wouldn't expect to be able to, but I had a lot of success just sort of cold reaching out to people like DC Investor and at the time Beanie. Um, and understanding their thought processes for how they were looking at these assets, you know, trading them, et cetera. And I found Beanie to be like a really, really intelligent guy. You know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about him, but even his harshest critics, the ones that actually know him would all say he's very smart. Um, so I met Beanie, of course we fast forward, we start Punk's comic. Um, Beanie started to sort of veer off and, and get into other projects as well. Um, because I was running the company and Beanie was of course like a very loud voice for Pixel Vault, but he wasn't, you know, handling anything day to day, uh, sort of like advising. He loves game theoretical decisions. Like you can see, I, I don't know the, the like the true origin stories of, of Wolf game. Um, they're, they're like very secretive in sort of like all things yeah. Wolf game. In fact, Shep still hasn't been doxxed. Nobody knows who Shep is. So like crazy that all of these people have been able to maintain their anonymity, but you can see a lot of Beanie stamp on early Wolf game stuff. Um, and I remember not being involved with the company directly, but obviously being involved with Beanie at the time and this idea of stealing other people's NFTs through gameplay. Like I just love, it's like the gambler in me, the, the risk taker. It just seemed like a really fun and interesting new use for NFTs. It's like, totally. uh, they call, they call Wolf game, like a risk protocol. Um, and so, Obviously, Wolf Game took the world by storm. Uh, I want to say Wolf Game launched in like October, November of 21. So maybe like six months behind PV. Tons of really, really prominent early holders. Yeah, I remember Gary V and G Money and, you know, now Seed Phrase. Like all these dudes were like battling in Alpha Game, which was, uh, I want to say, first half of 2022. Um, it's just a really funny, uh, funny like ecosystem where they're just like such strong personalities and rivalries. And um, it's different than I think really any other NFT community due to like the level of competition there. And on top of that, the level of building outside of the core team, they're just community members that have built tons of like incredibly useful tools that like most people that play the game today actually leverage. 
and they have no affiliation with the team. So there's something really special there in this sort of crazed uh, group of people that are just like diehard Wolf game fans. Um, <laughs> I saw I saw one guy uh, had a child maybe like a couple months ago and named his kid Shepley after oh Shep from from <laughs> Wolf game. So like. The, this group is just built different, but it's a community that is perfect for the reboot protocol, like these games of skill um, and, and leveraging sort of this idea of being a risk protocol. Uh, and and Goose Eggs, Aaron, our head of gaming, he thinks really similarly to sort of the brain trust of, of Wolf Game. Um, maybe back right around when we hired Aaron, maybe a couple months in. So call it April or May of 22. We had started talking to Wolf Game, uh, their leadership team about uh, a merger, PV and and Wolf Game. Um, Because those guys, I don't think they really liked running the business of Wolf Game, but they liked, you know, building and all of the game theory. But trust me, most of the time, my job is, is very unglamorous, not fun. I'm sure. Calls with legal, accounting, CPAs. Um, <laughs> that stuff gets tiring. Um, and it's decently small team. And, you know, of course, maintaining a community is a lot of work. And we have the scale to, to do it much more efficiently. Um, so we started the conversations back then, but just based on valuations at the time, um, there was, there was no way to realistically make it make sense. And then Beanie reached out to me, um, I don't know, maybe like six months ago and said like, Hey, would you be interested in acquiring Wolf Game? And, um, it took a few iterations of like, ask versus what I thought the reality of what the deal would have to look like would be. Um, But it just seemed so blatantly obvious to me uh, that it would be a perfect sort of like second star title for uh, the reboot protocol that we had to get it done. And so now um, we're still on what we're calling Wolf Game 1.0 trying to to fix some of the holes in the economy that exist in its current state. Um, and we've just stood up what we're calling the Farmhands Council, which is kind of like the core committee on the original PV side, where holders of the A8s, which are the premium assets, they get um, the opportunity to participate or we also had this runoff where people were running like these public campaigns on Twitter and like uh, it, it was really funny, but more than 50% of all tokens voted in this, um, in this uh, like runoff, right. To be elected to the farmhands council. So right now we're going through the process with them of creating this idea of Wolf game 2.0. And uh, we have a proposal that we're about to present to them over the next month. And then they're going to iterate uh alongside of us and we'll be launching Wolf Game 2.0 um, next year.
on the protocol. You're building a platform that allows for the creation of sustainable in-game economies that, by the way, if anyone's ever played like an MMORPG, all of them end up just inflating to like an infinite amount, like RuneScape, Destiny, mm -hmm. a big fan of MMORPGs. So, and, and it's kind of crazy when you think about it, how no one has mastered the in-game economy. But it feels like Root Reboot it's, is essentially... extremely difficult. I mean, yeah, look at look at just the economy, generally speaking. <laughs> look at look at our yeah. current inflationary uh, <laughs> landscape. So it's, it's very difficult to balance economies. Um, it was something that back in the the start of Pixel Vault, Beanie and I would sort of do together. He has a particular mind for it. And now, um, you know, Aaron, Aaron is, uh, call him a, a gigabrain. I, I don't know. I don't know how best to, uh, to frame the way his mind works, but um, his brother was actually responsible for the creation of DirectX which would become Xbox, basically the entire strategy for, for Microsoft's gaming. Yeah. And so Aaron, being the younger brother, was around basically the titans of the gaming industry since like his young teen years. Um, and so, you know, he was creating AAA titles at age 18. Um, he's gotten uh, like post-grad degrees in decentralized um uh, like, like a focus on, on blockchain, uh, predating Bitcoin. So, uh, he's got this sort of strange confluence of game knowledge and, um, cryptography knowledge. That was the word I was going for. So like decentralized yeah. cryptographic protocols. That was that was like what he was getting his PhD in. Um, and most recently, uh, his company was sold to Penn National Gaming and his partner runs um, all of Penn's sort of like casino, uh, the ESPN bet that they, they recently just launched. So he's got like a very diverse background that is sort of perfect for the creation of these in-game economies. That's what he's always specialized in. Um, but beyond just Aaron um, and the protocol, there are a lot of other layers in understanding the psychology of crypto participants and NFT collectors and these communities. And so we actually have long had this uh, running call within Pixelvault called Tokenomics, and we would hold it twice a week. And people from all over the organization, like literally down to artists who just are longtime crypto participants join, and we all sort of iterate on fun ideas for NFT collections or like, oh, like what sort of crazy burn mechanism could we implement here? And uh, so it's a really fun combination of people from a lot of different walks of life uh, that sort of layer on top of what is the Goose Gigabrain reboot protocol. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, I think you know one one thing I, yeah, I would love to touch on, uh, if you don't mind, then is 
uh, why you guys ended up picking Arbitrum for reboot battle plan. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was act. We had narrowed it down to uh, Polygon, Avalanche, and Arbitrum. Okay. Um, Polygon was at the point in time where we were making this final decision, having a lot of success with large corporate partnerships. They had like just landed like a, a ton of like heavy hitters by, by name. Um, but you know, dating back to some of the issues, um, with Zed run, the block reorgs, when you're, when you're dealing with transactions of real monetary value, we just simply could not risk the block reorg situation. Um, and then avalanche, we really liked this idea of the subnets. And now Arbitrum with these orbit chains now has sort of like a very similar conceptual component. And that was still in its early phases at the time where we had actually committed uh, to working to Arbitrum, but very clearly um, there was in our mind a one, like a very clear different level of committedness to working with partners. And so technology aside, and I, I think Arbitrum still wins out just tech for tech, but technology aside, you wanna work with one, people you like, and two, people that give you the actual respect of like timely responses, attentiveness, and from day one, um, so one of the advisors to Reboot is, is Keyboard Monkey. Uh, he has a strong relationship with Size Chad. We got talking to Size Chad. Um, Size Chad introduced us to the rest of the, the team over at Arbitrum. And it was just very, you know, felt like you were among friends. And that's, that's the key to any successful biz, biz dev person. So right. Salute to size Chad, like he did a good job there. But, you know, from that point, the tech has to stand on its own. And Nova has been so incredible to work on because uh, we, we've been marketing this recently. But we've just in our closed beta test already done more than a million transactions on Nova. We're about 10% of Nova's overall transactional count month over month right now. And this is just closed beta, but there's one signature up front. And then even though the game is heavily, heavily, heavily on chain, you as a user would have absolutely no idea that transactions are taking place. And that is how we're going to get the mainstream user leveraging blockchain technology because they'll see the value that it gives, i.e. true ownership, transferability of items, retention of value, et cetera. Um, but without the clunkiness of, let's be honest, like most crypto interactions these days. Um, like I was wrapping a CryptoPunk the other day using the contract and it's just like, <laughs> crypto has a real UI UX problem uh, especially yeah. for like very highly valued assets. I'm just thinking about it. Like 
Jesus, this this CryptoPunk hoodie is is worth like I don't know six hundred plus thousand dollars, and like any small fuck up here, it's and a- I'm just wrecked, <laughs> totally wrecked, irreversibly. So. You know, what we're doing with Reboot, what we're doing with Arbitrum is going to improve that. And um, I think the success of this um, closed beta really shows that because you've seen the tweets from our community. No one has any idea that that many transactions are actually taking place during one, like, full game, um, a battle plan. And so um, I think as things grow... Uh, you know, maybe there is an opportunity for an orbit chain or, you know, maybe we stick on Nova. Um, but uh, it's been really great seeing the technical progress on the Arbitrum side. And, um, you know, where we've had needs, you know, the team has always helped us find partners or assisted us in, in finding ways to scale solutions to, to accommodate the protocol, uh, made the right introductions to potential partners. And, um, that was certainly not the experience I was having at Avalanche. No shade, but no shade. Right. <laughs> just um, saying. Honestly, I will say I'm a fan of the Polygon guys, but a fan of the Avalanche guys. Yeah, definitely no shade you know, in all reality. Um, but I like Avalanche. It's just, I prefer yeah. Arb. There you go. Me too. Uh, well, and, and I think one's good; the other is better. Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. saying that because I can't. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I think that's where that's where like my 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 willingness uh, like, you know, to work here and, and and I've been here for about two and a half years before we launched Arbitrum One, and I think that's like the number one thing that I've noticed uh, with our team. Super is that, OG Arbitrum. That's awesome. Dude, I, you know, it's funny, like back then, no one really cared. People thought Polygon was the only L2 and, uh, you know, um, yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've, I've stayed on here since. And I think part of that is just because I've seen that, like, not only do we put like, uh, it's, it's, it's always been my personal mission to put other people first, because at the end of the day, you put other, you put someone else first and chances are maybe they'll kind of, you know, return that favor. Right. But number two, hundred percent. I was saying this to yeah. someone today, like, what you put out into the world is what you get back. And so, you know, selflessness is, is tends to be the best policy. No, a hundred percent. And to me, that's not, you don't, you can't teach that. I think that's something that you just have baked into you as a person. And that in addition to just the immense like brain power going on in like the tech side, no idea how any of these guys do it. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is that I think uh, there, there are many teams that, that builds, and they build not only the, the underlying tech, but sometimes they creep a little bit too far into the app layer. Um, whereas mm-hmm. I feel like we've, I think we're probably one of the few teams that have only focused on the underlying tech that allows for innovation like Reboot to exist. Right? I mean, like not to say mm-hmm. that Reboot isn't possible without Arbitrum, but it's that I think Arbitrum's tech uh, allows Reboot to really, to really see it's like whatever you can imagine in your head. like. You know, like you're saying, hundred percent, like a chain yeah. that reorgs every, every once in a while. Provide us the platform way. to shine. Yeah, right. I mean, like, so that to me, that's the coolest thing. So, like, when I see stuff like Reboot, I'm just like, yo, this is insane. And especially when you guys are talking about the transactions amount, ten percent of Nova transactions is insane. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's been awesome to see unfold. 
I mean, we had very, very high hopes for it, and it certainly exceeded all of our expectations. And so, amazing. I mean, imagine, imagine what can happen when we we open it up to a broad audience. Um, I've been talking with Bryson, who's a, a big gaming streamer in the space. Yeah. Um, and you know, he was really early to Axie Infinity, and he's an advisor to the protocol, but uh, seeing. Seeing his excitement shift, like I can read people when, you know, they're sort of checking a box, like any, any good business person is going to show a level of respect. Right. But like Bryson's a very authentic dude and I wanted him to give like a really true um, impression of the game and just like watching the wheels turning in his head as he started playing it. And then talking to him after the fact, like some of those early Axie vibes where it's an IP that has mass appeal, right? People like superheroes and kind of these these battle games. And similar to Axie, like kind of like Pokemon on the blockchain, that was like the big um, kind of the buzzword at the time. And him being early to Axie and, and now being involved with Battle Plan, um, you know, j- just to see his excitement has been awesome for me. Um, trying to solve some of the the pain points that Axie went through and trying to onboard mass audiences in the last cycle. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think we've got a lot of incredible people around the table, a lot of learnings to um, to really help us at, sort of attack gaming in a way that that's never been done before and it's been fun seeing like all of the other um projects popping up um like pretty successful gaming launches over the last six months and it'll be fun watching that continue to grow yeah all right i got a last got a couple last uh questions here for you um some of them are related some of them aren't um solana I noticed you're a big fan of Solana on this on the timeline. Um, yeah. I, I actually yeah. kind of agree that the Solana community is extremely strong, especially this past, the past couple of weeks have been great for them. Uh, what appeals to you about Solana? Right. I just have to ask. So, I mean, I do think Solana has better UX than ETH, like undoubtedly. Uh, okay. Everything's easier to use. Transactions are so much faster. You don't feel like you're about to make a fatal mistake at every turn. Um, so I think from like a noob onboarding perspective, Solana is much easier than how I was onboarded into NFTs from Top Shot to um, ETH Layer 1 NFTs. So there's that. Also, <laughs> you know, now very uh, infamously, let's say, there was the tweet heard around the world from SBF that said, I'll buy all the soul you want at $3 and then you can go fuck right. off. And that day, <laughs> this was in my run-up to, um, to actually founding Pixel Vault, I, I put like literally my whole bag into Solana. <laughs> So I bought at $3, 
sold it all at about 22. Uh, bought back three or four times as much once Pixel Vault had found success. Probably in like the $60 range. And then I sold it all between 180 and 220 and and bought my first home. So Solana will always have like a very special place in my heart for those reasons. Um, That's sick. But there is is sort of, uh, the community right now is very strong. You're seeing the NFT ecosystem picking up in a way that I don't think it did during the last cycle. Of course, you know, Frank came from Solana. Um, like there were sort of like the early bubblings of like a, a like a strong NFT community off the back end of of the previous bull market, and actually through the bear, I I think Solana, you know, held, held its own. But man, like there's just a crazy following for Solana. I think it's easy to use. Obviously, it doesn't have a lot of the the decentralization uh, right. pros that uh, you know other solutions have. But if we're talking about onboarding the masses, I think Solana has a good shot of doing so. But no, at the end of the day, yeah. if you're going to love a token, it's because number go up. So, and number has always gone up for me with Solana. So it has a special place in my heart and it's treating me very well so far this cycle as well. So I've been joking with my wife that if we have a daughter, so my wife is very pregnant right now. So I might be launching the game, the protocol and having a baby at the same time. Um, Stressful. But I've been joking that like, if we have a daughter as a second child that I might have to name her Solana. Uh, she hasn't oh taken to it, but I think it's kind of a cool daughter's name, but we'll see. I don't think I'll get I that think... one passed, but. <laughs> it's a, it's a cool, <laughs> I think it's a cool name if it wasn't a blockchain. <laughs> right. If it wasn't right. already a blockchain. Does have a nice, um, I'm Sean Solana. I don't know. Has a nice, yeah. has a nice frame. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Okay. I got one last question for you. Um, I thought that was a great answer, by the way. Um, I heard that you own a football club. Can you kind of explain what that means like yeah 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 so uh (laughs) probably one of the world's greatest top signals um wagner united (laughs) was a really 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 exciting concept that has gone awry in almost every way possible um Obviously, the the pain of the the NFT market going down really sort of upended a lot of the monetization strategies for the club. Because if you're going to own a League Two English football club, uh, most of them lose about 500,000 pounds a year. It's very hard to run a profitable club. So unless, you know... (laughs) <laughs> you're a big celebrity and can make sure that your your team has a, a show on Netflix. Like all of these teams are running at a deficit. So you want to be top of the table, get promoted. And if you get promoted, then they're ridiculously great investments because they're you know, going league two to league one, 
they go on to championship. I mean, they get progressively much more valuable. And so if we could have executed it properly, I think it would have really shown sort of the power of, we really wanted it to be a Dow buying uh, the club. We, we sort of struggled to get that through the regulatory bodies that, that manage English football. So it ended up being sort of like Dow light, um, but a lot of really influential uh, people within Web3 are, are part owners in the club. Something I'm super proud of, but it's been very rocky. Um, unfortunately, something that wasn't revealed during due diligence, right when we took over the club, there was this huge controversy. Like uh, the former manager was like, just like a, a complete racist doing like horrible things within the locker room. So we had a major, major like cultural problem with the club. And so imagine buying a brand new club and having that be like within the first two weeks. So it was immediate turmoil, you know, trying to, to reinstall like good moral compass within this club. Of course, we're looked at, you know, the Americans coming in and ruining English football. So it was like a very, very, very tumultuous year. We were almost relegated last year. Fortunately, we started this season performing very well. Now we're sort of like mid-table. Um, and a lot of the the NFT component of it all has been stripped away. And now it's really just being run like a traditional English club. We tried to be a little bit edgier first year. Um, if the team had performed, you know, you could have rolled with some of um, shoot, what's what's the TV show. Was it like I'm mind blanking? Oh my god! It's no, it's it's, it's on it's, Apple Apple Plus. That's the I don't watch TV. That's the problem. <laughs> god, I'm gonna kick myself for mind blanking this. Anyway, uh, basically, like a a, a former uh, like American coach goes to coach English football and knows like nothing about the sport, right? But like he's a lovable guy. Um, fuck. what's his name? Uh, I, I would Google it, but oh well. Um, yeah, I mean, we thought that there were ways that we could have really leaned into social media and excite and and like really excited the fan base. Um, it did not work not out. Really. Uh, <laughs> Preston Sports Cheetah, co-founder of PV. Um, he really took it on the chin because he was sort of like the face of the organization. He comes from like a sports analytics and, and betting background. So um, um, he was really heavily involved with, um, you know, trying to optimize the club. I think we've made a lot of the right uh, decisions from an analytics perspective, but the decision that the analytics would suggest don't always necessarily marry with what the fans would want. Like our analytics have shown that some of the the fans' favorite players uh, were actually not good by our metrics. And so, you know, trading them away was not popular, but has gotten some results. So, I mean, next time you see me or someone else buying a sports team, 
just consider <laughs> that to be the top signal for the next bull market and just sell it all and and collect your profits and buy back lower. Listen, dude, if Mistakes nothing else in a wallet that I, I controlled <laughs> too soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, that's a, that's, it's still the coolest thing to say that you own a sports club out of, yeah. out of you know what I mean? Yeah. It may be stressful. I mean, I've been, of- I've been a huge sports fan since I was a little kid. So it was, it's been a dream yeah. come true. Um, it's crazy. I got to partner with Adidas. I got to partner with Major League Baseball. I got to partner with Dana White in the UFC. So I've gotten to do a lot of really, really, really amazing things in the sports world that I never would have imagined as part of this, owning Crawley um, at the very top of that list. But it's very difficult. So like all of the, the Monday morning quarterbacks you see on Twitter acting like, oh, like I could run this club so much better. No, no, you yeah, yeah. Um, it's very difficult. So, uh, much respect to, to Preston, Eben, the the rest of, uh, the group that's been overseeing Crawley. Uh, they have not had an easy time of it with the fans, social media, traditional media. Um, but fortunately the club's performing much better. So much like, uh, how, how, you know, my uh, Twitter sentiment rides with uh, with NFT prices and crypto prices. So too, their sentiment rides with the performance of the club. So I guess you just got to take the good with the bad. It's just how it is, dude. That's life, honestly, at the, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. I know. Um, well, uh, Sean, G-Funk, uh, it's been an extreme pleasure having you on i appreciate you of course giving us your story and your insights and yeah man look forward to collabing in the future and seeing what's next for a reboot yeah uh it's been a pleasure uh happy to be working with the team at arbitrum and uh excited for this to to launch and hopefully this time maybe next year we're having a, another discussion about the the tremendous growth of reboot and all the different games that uh we've brought to the ecosystem ours and otherwise i've got i've got irons in the fire as we speak so Hopefully it it all plays out according to plan. Amen to that, man. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you for watching this week's episode of Beneath the Layers. If you're interested in listening to more, make sure to check us out on YouTube or on any of the other major podcasting platforms. Also, we're hiring. So if you're interested in working on cutting-edge tech, scaling Ethereum, etc., make sure to apply at jobs.lever.co forward slash off-chain labs. Additionally, a disclaimer. Nothing in this podcast should be taken or understood as financial advice of any kind, uh, and all opinions expressed by the host, myself, or the guests are solely their opinions, my opinions, and do not reflect the opinions of Offchain Labs as a company. All that being said, thank you for watching. See you guys in the next one.